Uh, good morning. Um, I'm, my name's Sid Lay. Uh, I'm an SUM student. Uh, my story's going to start a little grim, but uh, it's going to lighten up along the way. Um, I had a time last, last summer where I, I was like Job. I had, had all these blessings, all these things that were given to me, but they were all snatched away from me. Um, I, I, w I had a girlfriend that, that I, I planned to marry. I had a, a place set up. My job was going well. Um, but it slowly just fell apart. It started with finances. The devil started taking me from there. Uh, the people at my work were, were coming against me because of the fact that I was a Christian. Um, I had time where, where I lost my place. I had nowhere to go. Um, you know, I, the church helped me as much as they could, but there came a time where I ended up facing the streets. And around that time, uh, j just a day be before I, I was going to hit the streets itself, um, th this girl that I was planning to visit and marry, she ended up calling me up at like 1 in the morning after a 16-hour shift telling me, Hey, look, I, um, I, we're, we're not meant to be together because of this, this, and this, and giving me a list of things. And I, I, was, I, I was devastated. I was like, God, where are you? Why have you forsaken me? What is this that you put me in? I, I, am I not called to your things? What is it that you put this yoke on me? I can't bear it. And so I, I had to go through this time where I, I like to call it the wilderness, you know, where, where Jesus went out and, and he was on his own. He wasn't with anybody. So for me, I was like, I, I'm, I'm on the street. I'm, I'm kicking my own butt just to move forward every morning. I'm, I'm broken. What do you want? So I felt like Job in an ash heap where I had nothing. I was just junk. I was worthless to people. I was mocked at the sight of it. You know? And so I, I, I was like crying out to God this time. And he's like, dude, like, I'm here. I'm right with you. No more romance could you ever have than what I had in that valley. Because he was there. He was like, man, look, I'm right next to you. Everybody else may leave you, but I'm here. You are my love. You are my son, who I am well pleased. Do not walk away. You know? And that's one of the only things that got me through. But I tell you what, that broken heart, it don't mend so easy. It don't mend so easy. You know, I, I, I uh... I even lost my graduation because I was faithful to a woman that was unfaithful to me. I said, look, dude, I, I, I kept going back to her, trying to talk to her, trying to go, hey, look, this is not right. I'm trying to make things right. But it just wasn't thing. God was like, no, dude, leave it. Leave it. I got better things, you know. There's bigger purposes. And, I, and, and so I, 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 I say this all because like, I, I want you to realize that no matter what hardship there is, no matter what trial there is, God is the God of comfort. He's the one that will be there when nobody else is. You know, and we can get each other's back, but God is there both day and night. So you need to call out for Him. I'm going to give you this scripture. Um, 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 3. All praise to God the Father, our Lord and Jesus Christ. The God is, uh, God is our merciful Father and the source of all comfort. He comforts us in our troubles so that we can comfort others. When they are in trouble, we are all able to give them the same comfort God has given us. He just rocked me when he hit me with this. He's like, dude, you go through stuff all the time because I want to build you to a place where you can do this for people. Where you can minister to them because you've been in that spot. So if you're in hardship, just call to God. Go like, hey man, why am I here? What, what is the purpose, the ultimate bigger picture of this? Because I tell you, there is something greater that will be on the other side of that. Now, I'd like to pray over this uh, time. 
Heavenly Father, I, I just thank you, God, that you are there in the darkest valleys, God. That you loved us when we were unlovable. In the, in the darkest times of our life, when nobody else is there, that you are, God. I ask that you come down and mend the hearts that are broken. You come into this place and just permeate it with your love, your, your goodness, God. That people in here would be, be falling out under your love because it's so strong. I thank you, God, for all these things. In Jesus' name I pray. It out. I was lost. I was lost with a broken heart. You fixed me up and now I'm set apart. From the ash I am born again. Forever safe in the Savior's hands. You are more. You are more than my words can say. I follow you, Lord, for all my days. I fix my eyes following your ways. Forever free in unending grace Cause you are Because you are, you are, you are My freedom We lift you higher Lift you higher Your love, your love, your love Never ending Oh, oh, oh You are alive in us Nothing can take your place You are all we your love has set us free. Oh, oh. Hallelujah. I'm singing the mist. In the midst of my darkest night. Let your love. Let your love be the shining light. Or breaking chains that were holding me. You set your son down to set me free. Everything of this world will fade. I'm pressing on till I see your face. Come on, live. I will live that your will be done. Come on, I won't stop, stop till your kingdom comes. You are. Because you are, you are, you are. My freedom, we lift you higher. Lift you higher, your love, your love, your love, never ending, oh, oh, oh. You are alive in us, nothing can take your place. You are all we need, your love has set us free. You are, you are alive in us, nothing can take your you are all we need. Your love has set us free. Whoa, whoa. Higher, your 
song and it's just simply called strong God how many of you guys believe that we are singing and worshiping a strong God this morning we're not singing to Peter Pan we're not singing to a figment or of, or of our imagination we are singing to a God that is strong and mighty a God that created heaven and earth a God that breathed life into you and me a God that is strong to save a God that is powerful in every situation. A God that sees you this morning. Come on, thank you, God, for seeing us this morning. You love us in this place. And God, we come to the source of our strength. The source of our life is you, Lord. We're going to teach you this song and, and just sing this with us. Sing it with your heart. Hallelujah. We worship you, Jesus. Father to the fatherless, defender of the weak, freedom for the prisoner, we sing, sing again. You're the father to the fatherless, defender of the weak, freedom for the prisoner, we sing, say this is God. This is God in his holy place. This is God clothed in love and strength. Sing out, sing out, lift your voice and cry out. Awesome is our strong God, mighty is our 
Come on, if you're filled with the Spirit, can you just sing a song of praise to the Lord in that, in that tongue right now? Let's just fill this room with our words and the Spirit. Come on. We welcome you, Holy Spirit. There's no one like you, Lord. who needs to come forward this morning come on if that's you Jesus is talking to you come forward come forward this altar is open right now if you need to step forward and stop running from him come on this place is open for you to come hallelujah we receive that word Jesus we're not gonna stop running come on it doesn't matter what you've done what you've done what your past is he's calling your name come on come a little closer come a little deeper come on come close to me he says yes Jesus we respond to you this morning, God. Hallelujah. Hallelujah, Jesus. We have time for another word. Hallelujah, Holy Ghost. Hallelujah. Who needs healing in this place? Come on, he's calling you out. You need healing from the heart, healing in your body. Come to this altar. Come on, run to this altar. Come on, the Holy Spirit is strong in this place. He is moving. He is moving. Don't miss out. Come on, don't miss out on what he's saying to you this morning. Come on, healing, healing, healing. Healing in this place. Healing in this place. Holy Ghost, do your work this morning, Jesus. Oh, Lord. Heal us, heal us, heal us, heal us. 
We receive your healing this morning. We receive your touch, oh God. We receive it, Lord. Come on, if you're at this altar, come on, raise your hands in faith. Raise your hand in faith and say, I'm free, I'm healed. In Jesus' name. Jesus, Jesus, we call upon you, Lord. We call upon the name of Jesus. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Do what only you can do. Do what only you can do, Jesus. Come on, come on, there's breaking in some bodies this morning. Come on, there's healing some bodies this morning. Hallelujah. Jesus, we receive the Lord. Hallelujah. Come on, declare this. There is none higher. Declare There is none higher, no. There is none greater, no. There is none stronger than our God. Come on, say that again. There is none higher, no. Hallelujah, Lord. Woo Come on, keep worshiping God. Keep worshiping Lord. Keep worshiping Him. Keep worshiping God. Right now, God is here. He's moving. He's healing. He's setting people free. He set me free just a while ago. Come on. Come on. Jesus sets pastors free. Come on. Some of you got a shot in praise to get your freedom and your breakthrough. I needed that this morning. Come on, for the devil's lies. Come on. Some of you, the devil's been lying. Some of you, the devil's been, it's been, it's been attacking you. Some of you, you've been having nightmares. Some of you, the devil's been using people to just speak lies to you so you can feel down and discouraged and lose your faith. But right now, your breakthrough determines on your praise and worship to God. Come on, saints of God. I'm talking to believers and non-believers. This is new to you. Just praise your hands and you want Jesus to say you're free. Say hallelujah. Come on. Let it come from your most inner being. Come on. Let it come from within you. How much do you 
want Jesus Christ this morning. How much you want the freedom that he has for you. Come on, no more insecurities, no more fears, no more worries, no more. No more getting pulled down by financial struggles. Come on, guys, bringing forth your, your, your blessing. Come on, Jesus. Hallelujah, Lord. Hallelujah, Lord. Hallelujah, Jesus. Hallelujah, Jesus. Oh, oh, oh Jesus. We bless you, Lord. Hallelujah. We bless you, Lord. We bless you, Jesus. Church, because God. God wants to do something. There is not higher, no. there is no greater, no. there is no stronger than our God. Oh, yes, Jesus. Oh, Jesus, come on, you have to be determined this morning that freedom is yours. Come on, Jesus.
here at MPI, and I'm going to present to you the gospel of salvation. If right now parents can um, lead the children towards the back, sound booth. Oh, God, thank you. I needed that personally. <laughs> I'll confess that. I just want to go after Jesus. Everybody doing good this morning? Praise God. Come on. Amen. If we can look up to the scripture that we have up here, John 3, 18. The scripture says, Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already because they have not believed in the name of God's one and only son. You know, I like, I love God because he makes salvation very simple. Sometimes we make it really hard. Now, I want to speak for those that believe in, in God or have claimed to believe in Jesus Christ and what he did on the cross for us. He shed his blood, he sacrificed his body for our sins. He took the punishment that we deserve. Come on. That is something to rejoice about right there. That today you don't have to live in sin. That today you can walk out of here full of joy and freedom. Not just from sin, but from the things of this world like the fears and anxieties, all those little things that come along, you know, creep up because of throughout you know, the schedule of your life and family and so forth and work. Jesus Christ wants to give that freedom. Amen. Whoever believes in him is not condemned. Now, you might say, I believe in Jesus Christ, but the devil says the same thing. But the devil is still the devil. Amen. You know, you can say you believe in Jesus Christ. Not until you really demonstrate it with the actions. Your actions might, might, might not be demonstrating that you believe in Jesus. Because you might be doing the complete opposite of what Jesus has commanded, commanded you to do. Excuse me. And the thing is this. You are saying there that you don't believe in him. Yet you might be sitting here. You might be, you know, calling yourself a believer and a Christian. But you are, with your actions and with your thoughts and your heart, you are not. You're not. Whoever does not believe stands condemned. So you can say you believe, but if you don't, you're, you're not demonstrating with your heart. Amen. Or maybe you don't have the, just the knowledge enough, you know. God says that because of lack of knowledge, my people are destroyed. You might be on your way down to hell because you don't understand. You don't, you don't have the knowledge of the commandments of Jesus Christ. And the good thing that you can learn the commandments of Christ. Amen. We had a discipleship program this church, and you can learn all the teachings of Jesus Christ. For not lying, for not stealing, for not killing, for not hating, for not having sex out of marriage. And if you have done any of those and so much more, you can repent. You can ask Jesus to wash you with his blood. And then you can call yourself a believer. Then you can say, yes, I am not condemned. I don't stand condemned. Amen? Because I do believe in the one uh, son of, of God the Father. Amen? So let's please stand. Let's please stand. And if that's you, if, if that's you, let's, let's just close our eyes right now. If that's you. And uh, 
you know, you might be calling yourself a Christian and you believe in Christ, but you probably didn't know that, you know, gossiping was a sin. You probably didn't know that bitterness was a sin. You probably didn't know, you know, having sex out of marriage was a sin. And today, this morning, you can ask for his grace and his mercy. You can repent. You can change. And then he can wash you clean from that and live free and happily because you know that you don't stand condemned in God. And if you're afraid that you're condemning God right now because you've been living this life of sin, I want to encourage you not to walk out of here condemned. We have my wife and Ellie right over here, Grisella and Ellie, by the wall, and they want to pray for you. They want to disciple you as well. So let's pray if that's you. They want to teach you the ways of God. Father God, I just pray for those that have not accepted you, that have not truly practiced all the your, your, your commandments, Father God. In the name of Jesus Christ, Father, I pray that, Lord, that you, you grace them, that you just wash them with your mercy and your grace and the blood of Jesus Christ, Father. Because your love for them, Lord, is to give them a life of, of abundance, Lord, life of fullness of joy. God, not that they're going to have all the things of this world, but they're going to have the contentment of knowing Jesus and having a relationship with him, loving him. So, Lord, I pray right now, Father, just for the conviction, the hearts, Lord God, that there will be a genuine repentance, genuine change, genuine desire to follow Jesus Christ and his command. And they can say, I don't stand condemned today, but I stand in Christ and I'm, I'm not condemned. So, Lord, I just thank you for those here that are receiving salvation this morning. Bless them in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Hallelujah. If that's you. We want to invite you to come up to this couple right over here by the wall. They want to encourage you. They want to disciple you. Amen. And right now we want to uh, recite our confession of faith. We confess this because this is our Christian worldview. Every church and and nation worldwide that stands and believes in the in the gospel of Jesus Christ believes this these, this this right here that we're going to recite. Man, the count of three. And those that want to read on a piece of paper, raise your hand. We have a usher that will pass it out for you, to you. No, nobody wants to. Okay, we'll all read it on the screen. Amen. Let's read. And count of three. One, two, and three. I believe in one God and creator who is the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. The Father who so loved the world. The Son who purchased my salvation, his death, burial, and resurrection. And the Holy Spirit who makes me new and abides in me forever. I believe in the United Church of Jesus Christ. I believe. Purpose and plans for our lives. I believe in the second coming of Jesus who will judge the living and the death. I believe in the eternal reward of believers in Jesus and eternal punishment for all believers in Jesus. I believe in the church of Jesus Christ. Apostles, prophets, elders, and deacons in which the gates of hell shall not prevail. I believe in the salvation for all mankind. It is by faith alone, in Christ alone, by God's grace alone. For the glory of God alone, amen. Come on. Praise the Lord. Let's, let's greet one another in this place. As we get ready to...
to make your way back to your seats. Come on, who's excited for church this morning? Make some noise. Welcome to MPI. I want to take this time to welcome all of our first-time visitors. If this is your first time here, please raise your hand. One of our ushers would love to bring you a brochure if you haven't received one already. All right, right over here we got first-time visitor, Kelly's friend. Yeah, Kelly's friend. Welcome to MPI. Here at MPI, we have two main services, Sundays at 10 a.m., Fridays at 7 p.m. Come on, elevate, make some noise. It's our youth service every Friday at 7 p.m. Here at MPI, we have a vision of loving God and loving people. We want to love God by obeying his commandments and worshiping him and loving people by preaching the gospel to them and meeting their needs. And here at MPI, we have a discipleship strategy to connect mentor and son we want to make sure that you are connected number one to who jesus right and then we want to connect you through our life groups life groups are a place where we share life together and if you look on the back of your announcements there is a complete listing of what we have going on this quarter and you can also check it out on the website but this week here are, here's what's going on this week tonight we have Encounter Night Prayer Group at 5 p.m., a time of worship, prayer, soaking in God's presence, breaking out into small groups, women with women, men with men. It's a great time to, to just uh, hang out in the Lord's presence. Wednesdays, we have King Kids at 6.30. Come on, that's for our children. From the, from infant all the way up to 11 years old. And this Wednesday, we actually, they actually have a fun night, a family fun night. So come on out. It's a movie night. You can bring your children out in their pajamas. We're going to have a great time. Friday, adult Bible study at my place. Come on. Study God's word, worship, fellowship. We're actually having a fellowship night this Friday. We're turning my house into a coffee house. So come on out. Let's have some good conversations. Bring your children. And that's again at 7 p.m. And then Saturday, we have evangelism at 5 p.m. Going out with Pastor Deanna and Rudy all over the city of Chicago. Preaching the gospel. Yeah, make some noise. Signs, wonders, salvation, just it's all going on. You guys don't want to miss it. So make sure you get connected to one of the life groups. And then the second part of our discipleship strategy is mentor. We want to mentor you to live like Jesus, show you, teach you the ways of God. And you do that through the one-on-one -on -one book. You meet with one of the elders or deacons here at the church at a time that's convenient for you, and you go through the seven lessons. And once you graduate here, on to the 201 class and that's what pastor jared disciples making disciples because we know that god wants to use you to impact the world around you and that goes into the said the third part of our discipleship strategy to be sent out into this world amen you guys are awake excited come on because this is about you yes and then we have a goal of a hundred thousand disciples here in the city of chicago with 50 churches here and 500 all around the world yes if you believe god can do it make some noise he is good now it's time to prepare for our tithes and offering as you know we have been going through tithing lessons since the beginning of this year Please turn with me in your Bibles to Matthew 23, 23. If you would like to follow along with me and receive these lessons into your uh, inbox, you can sign up on our website under books, and it's called the Disciples Giving Book. This lesson is called The Tithe is Relevant for Today. We've learned that tithing is 10% of our total income given to God faithfully. 
Every time you give 10% of your total income, it goes into the general fund here at the church. Anything that you give above your 10% goes into offering. Here at when you give an offering, you can designate where you want that money to go to. It can either go to the building or it can go to missions. This year, we are taking a missions trip to the Philippines. Come on, at the end of 2014, the Philippines. We're raising $20,000, and we believe God can do it. We're going to go out, work with different pastors, evangelistic outreaches, relief work. And so we, if you want to be a part of that, make sure you circle missions on your envelope. So if you're with me in Matthew 23, 23, let's read. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You give a tenth of your spices, mint, dill, and cumin. But you have neglected the more important matters of the law, justice, mercy, and faithfulness. You should have practiced the latter without neglecting the former. That's harsh, huh? What are some points that we can take away from this? Number one, Jesus commended the Jews for tithing. Although the Jewish leaders were rebuked for many things, being faithful in their tithing was something that Jesus complimented on. And number two, tithing by itself is not all that God wants. God wants us to meet more than just, he wants more than just our wallets, right? He wants our hearts. He wants us to obey all of his commands. So we should practice both tithing and justice, mercy and faithfulness. It's not either or, but rather both and. So let's summarize this. Jesus was concerned with people giving their best to God in tithing, and he wanted, to be, he wanted people to be full of love for others. Therefore, we should do both as well today. So how do we apply this to our lives? Number one, we're faithful in our tithe. And number two, we do, don't hide behind your disobedience, behind giving money. Be sure to both tithe and be obedient to all of God's commands. Amen? So we want to do more than just be, okay, God, I paid my tithe, my offering. That's it. Yes, he wants that, but he wants all of us as well. So let's confess this on the tithe, on the count of three, that we're going to confess this over our tithe and offering. One, two, three. The tithe was implied with Cain and Abel, revealed to Abraham, established in the law of Moses, and is still relevant for today. It comes with a blessing and a curse. It must be qualitative, a priority, and a faithful practice in our lives. The tithe advances the kingdom of God, tests our maturity, breaks the attitude of greed through obedience, and is mandated for all and brings us into partnership with God and his church. Amen. Please stand to your feet with me this morning. Once again, 10% goes to the general fund. Anything after that becomes your offering goes either to missions or to the building fund. Let's recite this together, Acts 20, 35. The Lord Jesus himself said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we love you. We thank you so much for this morning, and we thank you for every blessing that we have in our lives. We pray that our tithe and offering, dear God, would be a pleasing aroma unto you. Dear God, there's some here that are sacrificing but are being faithful. I pray that you meet their needs, Father, that you take care of their homes as they are faithful to your kingdom. I pray for job opportunities, doors to open, dear God, promotions in the workplace. Dear God, favor your people as we know that you can. In Jesus' name, we pray. Amen. Come up as you give.
Good morning, church. How's everybody doing? Looking at me like, man, Pastor Joe put on some weight and grew a beard. I am not Pastor Joe. I'm Pastor Jared. Pastor Joe is in New Orleans working with some other churches this weekend, enjoying the southern weather. And I wanted to send him a postcard saying, wish you were here. How many just love Chicago? Amen. Thank you. We've been in a series this month teaching from the book of Esther. And we've been tying it in with the goal and the strategy and the vision of Metro Praise. The title of the series has been For Such a Time as This. Everyone say that with me. For Such a Time as This. And we want to talk about what God has called Metro Praise International to do in this time, in this very generation, the same way that Esther was called to do great things in her generation. So as I've said, we went through the strategy, which is, no, oh, that's the, that is the strategy. I skipped ahead. The vision. What's the vision? Yes. We've got some good students here. The strategy. Connect, mentor, send. And then the goal. 100,000 disciples, 50 churches in Chicago, 500 around the world. So this is where we're at today. We're going to talk about our goal, and we're going to talk about the plan of God, and we're going to talk about the part that you have to play. Everyone say, that means you. Someone look at your neighbor, say, that means you. Look at your other neighbor, say, that means you. Everybody, no one is exempt from this. Amen? So uh, let's just, uh, if we're on that blog right now, uh, just reading the introduction. The story of Esther displays two great truths for us to follow. First, the sovereign plan of God will always prevail over the schemes of men and of the devil. Second, that God delights in using faithful people such as Mordecai and Esther and his great plan to redeem the world. Today, MPI Church is seeking to take part in God's plan to revive Chicago and bring the nations to Jesus. For such a time as this, we are partnering with God to make 100,000 disciples and plant 50 churches in Chicago and 500 around the world. If you can believe it, can you say amen? Amen. So today, what we're going to learn about, first we're going to learn how God has used ordinary people to do extraordinary things throughout the Bible and all of history. Second, we're going to learn principles on how to follow God's plan for our lives. Third, we're going to be encouraged to make an impact in this generation for Jesus Christ. And fourth, we're going to find a place to, to in the church where we're going to start making an impact today. And I'll unpack all of that as we go along. Our sermon text has been Esther chapter 4, verse 14. These are the words of Mordecai to Esther, and I'll explain that relationship in a moment. The text says this, For if you remain silent at this time, relief and deliverance for the Jews will arise from another place, but you and your father's family will perish. And who knows but that you have come to your royal position for such a time as this. So we know the story of Esther. We've been learning it this month. Esther was a Jewish girl, and she was living under Persian rule, the kingdom of Persia was dominant throughout the land, and King Xerxes was the king. And she, in a, in a, in a uh, turn of events, she became the queen. The old queen was deposed, and Esther was picked to be the queen. So she was put in a royal position. At the same time that was happening, there was a man named Haman, and he was a high official in Xerxes' kingdom, and he hated the Jews. He particularly hated Esther's cousin Mordecai and because he hated Mordecai and Mordecai was a Jew he figures I will use my position to have all the Jews killed 
And so Esther is put in a real predicament here. She's the queen. They don't know she's Jewish. She has a good standing there with the king. And she is, would put a lot on the line if she were to speak up for her people at this point. But Mordecai is encouraging her. He says, don't remain silent. You think you're going to, God's going to deliver the people one way or another. But if you don't act, your family will perish. But he encourages, he says, you are put here for this time in this place. And I want to say that to all of us. You exist, you live in Chicago in 2014 for a reason, my friends. God gave you something wonderful to do for him. Amen. Now, I want to make some applications to us and to the church. But before I do that, I want to give you a little history lesson. All right. We're going to look at the big picture of God's plan. And we're going to look at history as his story. Amen. As in God's story of redemption, redeeming the human race. It plays out like this. God makes a promise. He has a plan and a purpose. The devil makes a problem and then God uses people. I know that's a lot of P words. Somebody probably has to use the bathroom. I made them have to use the bathroom, all that P. Okay. So God has made a promise. I want to look at God's promise in the Old Testament. God made a promise to the nation of Israel that he would always preserve them as a nation. We know the story of Israel. God chose Abraham. He says, I will give you many descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky, uh, in the sky and the sands on the seashore. He says, I'm going to give, make a great nation out of you, and all nations will be blessed because of you. So that was a promise right there that God made to Abraham. In the course of time, Abraham's descendants became the nation of Israel, and they live in uh, what today is modern Palestine. And God had chosen them to be his covenant people. He made promises that they would always exist and that they would always be his people. There are several texts that you can find in your notes. This is on the blog. You can access it online. Promises that they would always live in the land of Israel. Promises regarding an everlasting covenant. How long is everlasting? It's forever. It's everlasting, right? That he would make an everlasting deal with them. In other words, by the way, a covenant is sort of like a marriage, that God would be married to Israel forever. Those were his words in Psalm 105. In other places, God says that other nations may be destroyed. Other nations may be wiped out, and we've seen that come and go. Great nations rise and fall. But he says, though he chastens Israel, though they may suffer defeats, he would never allow them to be destroyed. One particularly powerful promise is in Jeremiah 31, Verses 35 through 37, it says, this is what the Lord says. He who, appoints the, uh, he who appoints the sun to shine by day, who decrees the moon and stars to shine by night, who stirs up the sea so that its waves roar, the Lord Almighty is, is his name. Only if these decrees vanish from my sight, declares the Lord, will Israel ever cease to be a nation before me. This is what the Lord says. Only if the heavens can be measured and the foundation of the earth below be searched out, Will I reject the descendants of Israel because of all they have done, declares the Lord. So God has made very strong and declarative promises. He doesn't mince words. He says Israel will be a nation forever. That was his promise. His plan for Israel was that they would be his covenant people, as I described. It would be as if they were married to God. And when you're in marriage, you know, there's, there's a deal, there's terms, there's agreements within that marriage. And he was going to give them his law, his commandments. He was going to give them a priesthood and give them instructions to build a temple so that they could make sacrifices to him and so that his presence could be among them. And this was so that they could be uh, his 
chosen people. They would be different from everybody else on the earth. They would be his people. He would be their God. That was their, the plan. The purpose for this was that through Israel, through the Jewish people, the Messiah would come. And that is who? Jesus. Jesus would be the Messiah, and he would come from the Jewish people, from the line of King David. And, and the, the scriptures tell in the Old Testament, they predict that this Messiah would die for, for other people's sins. That says he was pierced for our transgressions, he was bruised for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him. And so the, the scriptures foretell that this Messiah was going to bring redemption to Israel from their sins, and not only to Israel, but to all the nations. Amen? And so God had a promise that he would preserve Israel. He had a plan for Israel to set them apart as his nation, giving him a law and a covenant, and then a purpose that through Israel would come the Messiah to bring redemption to the whole world. Here's the problem. How many know that when God is blessing, the devil is messing? Okay, some of you knew the rest of that sentence. The devil is messing. That's a little preacherism. You get that for free. The devil is messing. There have been continually threats to the plan of God. Uh, there have been various instances, and you see these in the Bible in, in, in this case, it's Haman. Haman is the problem. Haman is the threat. Haman literally wants to extinguish all of the Jewish people. If Haman had succeeded, or even if Hitler, because we know Hitler wanted to destroy the Jews, yes? If there was ever a day when all the Jews were destroyed, that would mean God's promise and plan and purpose have failed. Everybody see that serious? Now, a lot of us don't think of Esther being in our top ten list of books of the Bible. You know, we don't put a lot of Esther verses on our T-shirts and refrigerators. But Esther is a very powerful book of the Bible. It's very pivotal because if things had happened any other way than they did in this book, then the Jews would have been destroyed. God's plan would have failed. But how many know God never fails? So the devil has created a problem through Haman. And just to give some other examples of problems, there was the prophet Balaam, and he loved money, and he allowed a king to bribe him to curse Israel, but he could not curse what God has blessed. So every time he was commissioned to curse Israel, he would actually speak blessing over them. And, and so he, he tried to be a threat. And sometimes Israel was their own problem. How many know you could be your own worst enemy? Israel, instead of being God's chosen people, they worshipped the golden calf uh, right after the exodus. And they found themselves quickly under God's wrath and, and at the brink of destruction had Moses not interceded for them. Other times it was the leadership. The Bible would talk about wicked kings who would lead the people into all kinds of sin and idolatry, earning them the wrath of God. And so there have been problems. But in the midst of problems, God has always used people. Amen? Now, I don't know if you knew this about the book of Esther, but there is no mention of God in Esther. It's the only book of the Bible. There's no prayer, no worship, nothing even remotely spiritual in the book of Esther. And some people are perplexed by this. They say, if I wanted to read a book without God in it, I would read Twilight. Okay? And I would just say this, not as a Christian, just because they're vampires. I just say as a human being, don't read Twilight because it's lame. Okay? Yeah. But why is this book with no mention of God in the Bible? I'll tell you what, even though it makes no mention of God, what it doesn't say about God actually tells us a whole lot about God. 
Because when God wants to get things done, we think, well, why doesn't God intervene? Why doesn't God do this? Why doesn't God show up when I ask him to? Why doesn't every prayer get answered? And we expect God to move in these ways that we shouldn't be expecting. We have false expectations of God. Esther shows the pattern that God doesn't always rain down fire from heaven. God doesn't always do signs, wonders, and miracles. But God works through people. Amen? Ordinary people. And perhaps you have somebody in this church and they have been the agent of God on your behalf, a blessing of God in your life, and God has used them. That's a miracle in itself. And so God uses people such as Mordecai and Esther. They were not uh, extraordinary people. They were not particularly rich or, re- uh, or having many resources or any you know, sort of position. But God just used them because he saw what was in their hearts. They were willing to do what it took to get the job done. Amen? And so that's the Old Testament. And so they thwarted Haman's plot, deposed Haman, and they saved the Jews. And they probably didn't realize it, but in the course of time, about 500 years after their time, Jesus would come. They actually helped prepare the way for Jesus, for his first coming. Isn't that profound? And so that's God's plan in the the Old Testament. And we could see a similar pattern in the New Testament Once again, there would be a promise, a plan, a purpose, a problem, and people. The promise in the New Testament, so now uh, Esther and Mordecai, they prepared the way for Jesus. Jesus came. He made atonement for our sins through his death and resurrection. He made salvation freely available to the world so all the world can know Israel's God, the true God. And this was Jesus' promise. He came and he established a church. And a church is simply an assembly of people. It's not a denomination And it's not a building, it's people. And the church is all believers all over the world, all true believers, those who are truly God's people, those who are truly going to heaven, the millions and millions and millions, that's the church. And Jesus said regarding his church, he said, on this rock I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. So he said he would always have a people, just like he would always have Israel, he would always have the church. That was the promise, and he said the gates of hell would not prevail against it. He says the best that hell has to offer, all the attacks of Satan, would not destroy Jesus' church. Now, Jesus has a plan for his church in addition to a promise. He gave the church a plan of discipleship and evangelism to expand his kingdom. He didn't tell them to run for office. He didn't tell them to win the world by the sword and threaten people and, you know, you know, subjugate them. That was not his plan for expansion. His plan was to preach a life-changing, life-giving message called the gospel. And when people hear the gospel, their hearts are changed in a way that nothing else can do. And he says, I want this message proclaimed all over the world. And then he says in Matthew 28, 18 through 20, He gives the Great Commission, his marching orders to the disciples, and he says, Go make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. So he he, to preach this life-giving message and then to train and teach people to live like Jesus. Wouldn't the world be a better place if we all lived like Jesus? And so he had a promise for the church, a plan for the church of evangelism and discipleship. And then he has a purpose for the church. God's purpose for the church is to bring people from all nations out of darkness and into his eternal kingdom. God wants his house full of people of all shapes and sizes. I cited Matthew 24 and uh, 
Luke 14, especially because those are so telling. It's the parable of the great banquet. Jesus tells, tells it like this. He says, the kingdom of heaven is like the king who, who's God the Father, and he's throwing a banquet for his son, Jesus. That's, you know, this is all symbolic, right? And so the king has a guest list, and he sends his servants out to invite the guests that, that were on the list. And one by one, they all make excuses as to why they cannot come. And the king is not happy. Amen? And, and, and so and so he, he says, well, since they don't want to come, I want you to go to the highways and the byways. I want you to get the lame and the cripple. I want you to get all kinds of people, good and bad, because I want my house to be full. And this has direct applications because actually the original guest list was Israel. And it's not like they're booted. They could still come if they want. But he's saying because Israel didn't accept the invite, I'm opening it up to every nation. That I will be their God. They will be my people. And his specific wording in Luke 14 was so that my house may be full. And Revelation 7 talks about you know, at the end times, we know it's a scary book, a lot, of, a lot of weird stuff in there. But when all is said and done, there's a lot of worship going on. And it talks about a multitude that no one can number. From, and every tribe and nation and tongue is represented. And they're all praising God. And they're all bought by the blood of the Lamb. And they're all saved from this evil generation. That's God's purpose for the church. And so once again, God has a, has a purpose for the church, and then the devil makes problems for the church. Satan has historically de- uh, sought to destroy the church and damn the nations. Here's a number of ways he does it. Through false teachers and prophets, through oppressive governmental and religious establishments, and through godless philosophies and trends in society. And this covers all time periods and all places. It's not just 21st century America we're dealing with. Because, you know, American Christians, we're worried about gay marriage laws. Pakistani Christians, they're worried about Sharia laws, okay? So it's, it's across the board. We're all dealing with, you know, different issues and, and different threats. You know what I'm saying? And it's all periods. There's been false teaching. The Bible warns about doctrines of demons. The Bible warns about people turning away from the truth and gathering people to tick, tickle their itching ears and tell them things they want to hear. And that's nothing new. How many know Rob Bell? Does that name ring a bell? No pun intended. He was a pastor, and depending on you, you ask, he was probably one of us at some point. He was an evangelical pastor, and he writes a, a best-selling book that says everyone goes to heaven, no one goes to hell. And that's pretty ear-tickling because everyone wants to go to heaven, no one wants to go to hell, right? There's nothing new under the sun. He's not the first person to say that. The Jehovah's Witnesses aren't the first person uh, group to preach a different Jesus. This has been going around, going around. And so there's always these different threats to the plan of God. They're, they're trying to steal the truth of the gospel. They're trying to poison the, the, the truth because we're, we're, we're giving a life-changing message to the nations. And they have a death-bringing message, another gospel. And so there's false teaching one great example of a government establishment that threatened Christianity, Mao Zedong, who, uh, who spearheaded the, the communist movement in China, he threatened to destroy Christianity. I mean, you, you can read the quote. He says, I'm going to destroy Christianity. Now, now, that's no small threat coming from China, right? If he said, I'm going to destroy the United States, you know, we're on like, you know, code orange or something. You know what I'm saying? That's going to put us on high alert. But how many know that's no threat to God? 
Mao Zedong is dead, and there are upwards of 100 million vibrant believers in China. Praise be to God. Another example is something, and, and, I, and I, I just can't help but think, I, I don't take all this stuff as seriously as you think, like the satanic monument in Oklahoma. We think, well, the devil, he's going to steal Oklahoma. Man, if there, let's say there is a satanic monument in Oklahoma. You know, God has been in the business of knocking down idols since, you know, who knows when, right? And so there's always something. You know, the devil's always messing. The devil's always trying to take the truth away from us. The devil's always trying to, just, you know, divide up the church. The devil's always trying to destroy families and destroy the, the plan of God. He has, he has different ways. You know, we as Christians, we look at the nation as it is today, and we say it's the worst it's ever been. Many of us do with everything that's going on. But I want to remind you, in the 1950s, we had segregation. And 100 years before that, we had slavery. There's, there's a group that we identify with abolish human abortion. Their motto is every age has its evil, every age has its abolitionists. And I would say, just for the purposes of our sermon, every age the devil has a problem, but at every age the people of God rise up to defeat it. So that brings us to the people. In this crucial hour, MPI Church seeks to obediently follow God's plan of discipleship and evangelism to destroy the works of Satan and reach the unreached among the nations. We are not the only ones, but we are glad to be a generation of Esthers and Mordecais who are ushering in the second coming of Jesus. Now, I want to make some direct applications uh, to the church and to us as individuals. But before I do that, I first want to just extrapolate some lessons from the book of Esther. What can Esther and Mordecai teach us about following the plan of God? Here are a few lessons. Number one, we are always working under authority. We're always working under authority. Mordecai was the cousin of Esther. But because she was an orphan, her parents were dead, he raised her like his own daughter. And so he was a man who was like a mentor and a leader, someone who had moral and spiritual authority in her life. And in Esther 2.20, it says that even after she became queen, even though they still couldn't have that kind of close, direct relationship, he would sit by the, the palace gates and they would relay transmissions from each other, messages, and she would still follow his instructions. So she was the queen, but she still understood, I have a mentor, I have a leader in my life who's going to speak into me, who's going to guide me. She's, as the queen, she wasn't saying, well, can't nobody tell me nothing, I'm as bad now. She says, no, I'm in a place of more responsibility than ever. There's more riding on my back than ever, and I need Mordecai, I need the help of my mentor more than ever. And so we're always working under authority. And in a manner of speaking, Esther was the disciple of Mordecai. She was the disciple of Mordecai, and that, that rings true to us because we talk about discipleship. And I think that Pastor Joe really exemplifies this. I'm going to boast in him a little bit because as the pastor of our church, he is not someone who's unaccountable. He has a pastor over him. Brother Anthony Freeman lives in New Orleans, known him since Bible college. And, and, and so he's not just up here in the church, the head honcho. He does what he wants. Nobody can check him. No one can correct him. He has a man over him. That's, that's been in his life for years. And that man, Pastor Anthony Freeman, he has a mentor in his life. That's Papa Logan. 
And by the way, you cannot have Papa in front of your name. You have to be at least 75 years old, slayed a few devils, made a few disciples before you earn that title. So, Papa Chris, it's just wait your turn. It's coming. You got to earn that name. And, and so it goes like Papa Logan, Pastor, Pastor Freeman, Pastor Joe and Nancy, and then the staff, and then you all. And it's not like a a pyramid either because it's not like you know uh, 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 Papa Logan's our Pope you know what I'm saying it's just a chain amen it's a chain it's not a pyramid it's just a chain of disciples that make disciples that make disciples people impacting the lives of people who impact the lives of other people and so Esther I truly believe she wouldn't be the woman of character and courage and integrity she was without the leadership of Mordecai in her life so that's the first thing. Second thing is that God's people work better together. Now, we call it the book of Esther, and we think it's all about Esther, but if you were to ask me, I think it should be called Mordecai and Esther because there's two heroes in the story, and it talks just about him, uh, as much about him as it does about her. And it's a two-person operation. You could think of, you know, uh, uh, Mordecai is the brains and Esther's the beauty, Right? You know, it's, it's two parts. They can't do it without each other. I mean, could you picture, you know, Mordecai with his beard and his turban, you know, trying to hit on the king? Like, you know, call me. How many know Mordecai is not getting in the palace like that? But how many know that, that Esther can, that says she was, you know, she had a good figure, she was a kosher hottie, you know what I'm saying? And she could get into the kingdom. She could get into places that Mordecai could not. But as I mentioned even it, though she could get into those places on, on some merit, she still needed the leadership and the encouragement of Mordecai. And I believe this reflects a New Testament concept, which is that we are the body of Christ. Romans 12.5 says that we belong to each other. 1 Corinthians 12 says that when on one part suffers, we all suffer. When one part rejoices, we all rejoice. So we all have our strengths, we all have our weaknesses, but we work together. Lone wolf Christianity is not Christianity at all. We work together. Jesus wants a body. Where's Tony Vivid? He's not here. Who has big arms? Uh, Elliot, come up here. Just hold that up. Look at that. Oh, my gosh. You don't even know. This is like a brick. Listen, this arm is amazing. This arm will change your life. Oh, oh. Well, let me tell you something. If this arm is disconnected from the body, it's dead and lifeless and no good to nobody, right? Thank you, thank you. Arm of the year. All right. Everybody get that illustration. You can't be cut off from the body. You can't be cut off from the body. We need each other. We work together. How many are glad I'm not leading worship? Right? We need somebody who can sing. And it ain't me. See, we work together. And there's so many people that make this happen on Sundays and make it happen in the life groups and make it happen one-on-one -on -one discipleship that it's not just a one-man show. It never was. It never will be. It's about all of us. You, you own this church just as much as Pastor Joe and anybody else. You have a part to play as much as any of us do. And so God's people work better together. And Esther really needed the encouragement of Mordecai to do what she did. And without the, Esther, uh, the encouragement, she may have uh, failed in her mission. 
So second thing is God's people work better together. The third thing is never give into pressure or an intimidation to stop following God. Haman, who's the bad guy, he was like an antichrist. Because he had such a high position in the kingdom, he thought his position entitled people to fear him, bow down to him, and worship him. That's an antichrist. And Haman's not the only one. In the ancient world, there were a lot of kings and emperors that thought of themselves as God because of their power and authority, and they wanted to receive worship. And you hear about it in the book of Daniel, uh, about you know making uh, Nebuchadnezzar, he made this idol, he wanted everyone to bow to it. And then he, he wanted to be prayed to. Isn't that nuts that, that people would want that? And so everybody is bowing to Haman except for Mordecai. Everyone is bowing down to this man except for Mordecai. And I just want to say this. This deals with the fear of man versus the fear of God. And the Bible has a whole lot to say about this. Because Mordecai had the conviction that the only one I'm going to bow down to, worship and fear, is Almighty God. I'm not going to bow down to this man. So to him, it would be a compromise of his convictions. He's not going to do it as a devout Jew. There's no way. And so, obviously, he's threatened. He knows what this man could do. He could have him thrown in jail or even worse, have all his people killed, which is what he tried to do. And yet he never gave in to that pressure, to that intimidation. And, friends, I want to tell you today, you will face pressure and intimidation from people to stop following the Lord to stop doing what God has called you to do. It's going to come in from all sorts of directions. It'll come from people close to you. It'll come from, you know, the media painting a picture of Christians as we're just all nuts, you know, fundamentalists and what have you. And you're going to have pressure on you just to ease up on the things you believe in. And, and people want you to bow down to the same thing they're bowing to. Again, the Bible has a lot to say, so I won't belabor this point. But Matthew 10, 26 through 28 says it very clearly. Jesus, speaking to his disciples, says, The student is not above the teacher, nor a servant above his master. It is enough for the students to be like their teacher and the servants like their master. If the head of the household has been called Beelzebul, how much more the members of his household? So do not be afraid of them. Everyone say, don't be afraid of them. For there is nothing concealed that will not be disclosed or hidden that will not be known. What I tell you in dark, speak in the daylight. And what is whispered in your ear, proclaim from the roofs. Do not be afraid of those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather be afraid of the one who can destroy both body and soul in hell. Don't fear man, fear God. If you bow to God, you will never bow to man. Amen. Number four, don't follow Satan's plan for your life. How many have ever heard this? Jesus loves you and has a plan for your life. Conversely, Satan hates you and has a plan for your life. And Esther 7.10, we won't turn there, but it talks about how Haman was ultimately impaled on a 75-foot pole. That was his grisly demise. And to me, it serves as a vivid illustration and a warning of the outcome of those who follow Satan's plan for their life. As I'd mentioned, uh, Haman was an antichrist of a man. 
He was a man who hated the Jews. I'm convinced he was as full of the devil as anybody's ever been. So he was surely following the, the devil's plan for his life. And look what became of him. And it's a warning to us. And in the Persian kingdom, when someone was impaled on a pole, it was a public display of, of a gruesome death. As if to say, you don't want to do what he did. You know, you don't want, you don't want this same fate, so, so walk straight. Amen? And so that's the same idea. This is a powerful visual. And the Bible is full of people who followed Satan's plan for their life. And you see what became of them. Jezebel, that wicked, idolatrous woman, she was eaten by dogs. Judas hung himself. He betrayed Jesus, and he ended up hanging himself out of regret. And his body hung there for a time. Nobody found him. And as it decomposed, eventually the rope broke and his body fell and his gut spilled out. What a way to go. This is what happens when you follow the devil's plan for your life. Jesus says in Matthew 25, 41, he sends people to the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. I used to have a, a Satanist friend and I would say to him rather facetiously, my God can beat up your God. And it's true. The devil is a creaturely being. Uh, he is not the creator. He is not like God in any sense of the word. He's powerful, but he's nowhere near God. And, and God has his number. Amen. He was defeated at the cross, and his fate is sealed. Hallelujah. Right? So we don't want to follow the all-time loser. Now, here's the thing. You might say to me, well, preacher, you know, I'm not going to go out and kill Jews tomorrow. I'm just going to live my life. And you're saying, if I don't follow your religion and do your discipleship, I'm, I'm going to hell with the devil? That's kind of what I am saying. Because here's where Satanism starts. Here's where Satanism starts. It's when you begin to reject God's plan for your life and do your own thing. And that could look like any number of things. In, in the Satanic church, there's such a thing. In the Satanic Bible, there's such a thing as that. There's... The Satanic Ten Commandments, they have that too. They ripped off all our things. And, and the first commandment is do what thou will. Do whatever you want. Follow your plan for your life. And so you could be a noble Satanist. You could be an educated Satanist, a family Satanist, a career Satanist, a, 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 sat a humanitarian Satanist. As long as he keeps you away from the Savior and as long as you're not bringing other people to the Savior, he's okay. Do what thou will. Don't, don't include God in your plans. Don't let God govern your life. You can govern it, but un, unknowingly you become a Satanist. You follow his plan for your life. Don't do that. The fifth thing is to give your life or lose your life. Esther was in a catch-22, as I'd mentioned, because she's the queen of Persia. She's right next to the king. She's a Jewish girl. But they don't know that she's Jewish. She's kept that concealed to this point. And all the while, there's been an edict. It's been put in writing for all the Jews to be wiped out. And so Mordecai makes known to her this edict and says, hey, you've got to do something. You've got to speak up. You're the only one in the position to really do something about this. And her first response is one of fear. You know, she says, listen, if I approach the king and he doesn't want to see me, he could have me killed. That's what it was like in those days. If you came unapproved, he could have you killed. And furthermore, if he found out she was Jewish, she would be wiped out with everybody else. But then Mordecai, in our, in our series text, warns her, he says, listen, 
if the Jews die, you die with them. Don't think you're going to get out of this. And so she's in this catch-22 because, you know, if she speaks up, she'll probably die. If she doesn't speak up, she'll probably die. And that's really the position we're all in because we're all going to die, right? So we're all in really her position. And, and, and to me, it speaks of uh, the words of Jesus in Matthew 16 to 25. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me will find it. Esther could have said, I'm just going to. I'm just going to camp down here. I'm going to enjoy this position as long as I can. And I'm going to lay low. I don't want to mess with a good thing. And I'm just going to, you know, sit tight here. And then Haman warns her, hey, that's not going to happen. Don't don't get this false security like you're going to be okay. See, she had to be able to willing to give up her life, give up her position, and put everything on the line to do what was right. She had to give up her life in order that she may find it. But friend, I tell you, if you don't give up your life, you will lose your life. Question of the day, what are you trying to keep? What are you not willing to give up to God? I'm not saying we'll all be martyrs in this room. But we all need to be willing to give up something for the Lord, for Jesus. What is it? Time? Are you not willing to give time to the things of God? Is it money? Are you withholding the tithe? Say, I work hard, I have a lot of expenses, and, and if I want to have something left over for me, I think God understands. But is what you're spending or using that 10% on, is it worth it? What are, you, what are you not willing to give up? What are you tight-fisted about? What is the tug of war with God that you experience? Esther concluded that she would go through and speak to the king. She would put her life on the line. And her words were, if I perish, I perish. I believe the heart behind this was, if I don't do what I know is right, my life isn't worth living. Because think about this. Hypothetically, let's say she didn't speak up and she died. But you know what would have been worse than if she died? That is, she lived on. You know why? Because she would live in the palace every day with regret and shame and she'd be eating dinner with Haman every day, looking at his smug little face. And her only prayer would be, Dear God, what have I done? And God's answer would be, You did nothing. That's exactly the point. My people perished, and I did nothing about it. And friend, we're all in that same situation. I don't want to undermine the power and sovereignty of God. Yes, he will execute all his plans and purposes. But in the meantime, Satan is destroying life after life after life. And you have a part to play. You can either help the cause or hurt the cause. So what is it we're not willing to give up? I'll give some examples. Let's make it real. Our Wednesday night. Some of you need to be working with King's kids, but you're not because, you know, it's hump day. And my favorite show's on that night, and I need to recharge for the next day. But why don't you give your Wednesdays to Jesus, you know? Because to, to tell these kids from the inner city, God loves them and has a plan for their life. To minister to families in this neighborhood. To teach kids the way of God. Why don't you give your Wednesdays to that instead of wasting them? Some of you need to be there at Fridays pouring into youth. Some of you need to be there on Saturdays just sharing your faith, getting out of your comfort zone. We do sidewalk counseling one Saturday a month. And not even the whole day, just the morning. Could you give one morning a month? 
to pleading for your unborn neighbor. And here's the convicting thing. We're there one day a month. That place is open every day of the month. The harvest is plentiful. The workers are few. That's why we're praying for 100,000. So we could be at every high school. We could have an Elevate ministry in every high school. Sharing the word of God so that we could have bus loads full of kids to the west side and to the south side. We want to be in those south side neighborhoods where the murders happen, preaching the gospel. You know, they say there's church liquor store, church liquor store in those inner city neighborhoods. Why aren't, what are the churches doing? They're, they're calling Jesse Jackson, but we need to call on Jesus. We need to take them the gospel, the life-giving gospel. We're going we're gonna to post up where the devil has his throne, where men, young men are killing each other and dying over nothing. Where women are being molested and degraded. And Jesus said he would establish us there. The gates of hell will not prevail against us. Who's going to Inglewood? Metro praise Inglewood. Metro praise South Austin. We, we were in Wicker Park for a season. We're going to go back there. And we're going to tear it up. Those hipsters won't know what hit them. They're going to get saved in their skinny jeans, I tell you. Jesus is going to do it. And that was the first word. That's where Alderman Joe Marino uh, tried to boot Chick-fil-A because of their Christian values. But listen, friend, we're, we're going back there. No devil in hell, no alderman will stop us from advancing the kingdom of God throughout this city. But it starts with us. What are you willing to give up? What, what are you, you going to do for Jesus? Because you could be saying the same thing with Esther. What have I done? And the, and the answer is nothing. At the end of your life, my people perished and I did nothing about it. My city went to, to hell and to corruption and I did nothing about it. What will you do? And I just share this so you can be blessed. I understand we believe in the Sabbath principle. You get a day of rest, you recharge your batteries. And some of you are doing a lot for the Lord. But this is a challenge. Some of you need to give up those blocks of time that you're clinging to. Some of you need to give up that little bit of income, you know, that you're clinging to. Some of you need, just need to do that. Live open-handed toward the Lord, you know. Give up your, give up your Saturday mornings. You know, I, I like to sleep in on Saturday mornings. Plead for the unborn on your Saturday mornings, you know. Some people have a hard time just going to church. On Sundays, we work harder for the world than we do for God. And so we need to be willing to give up some things and make some lifestyle changes that reflect we care. And encouragement to the elders and deacons also, you know, as we're encouraging to meet new people, make disciples. Man, it's, it's a sacrifice. It's gas in the vehicle. It's driving out sometimes in weather like this. It's, you know, it's time out of your day. It's worth it. You could be impacting lives on a normal, regular basis. Your life can count for eternal things on a regular basis. Or it could count for little to nothing. Jesus says, the things you do in my name, I'll never forget. So it's our time. Amen? It's our time. Such a time as this, we have a vision to love God and love people. This is a word, by the way, to, to MPI Church. And as I've said before, it's not just the leadership. It's every one of us. It's not just that Pastor Joe and the staff
do their thing and you cheer us on and give your offering, come on Sunday and leave, you know, early as possible. You know what I'm saying? That is not it. We're all just as involved. We're all just as invested. Loving God, loving people. That's the vision. Everybody should be basing their life on that. Why? Not because I say so. Not because the church says so. That's in the Bible. Jesus says those are the two greatest commands. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And love your neighbor as yourself. That's Jesus' idea. That wasn't my idea. You know, the, the, the discipleship strategy, connect, mentor, send. We were just trying to find a way to do discipleship in a way that was relevant and reasonable for today. We're just trying to keep Jesus' command. We're just trying to follow his plan to discipleship. Find your link in the chain. Where do you fit in, my friend? Get a Mordecai, a mentor in your life. Or mentor somebody else. Some of you need to be pouring out into others. But that should be all of our hearts. And then the goal, 100,000 disciples in Chicago. Does your heart burn for that? Are you sick of hell on earth? Are you sick of murder? Are you sick of broken families? Are you sick of corruption? Do you want to do something about it for Jesus? Because he says, I'll enlist you in my army. Now, we sometimes underplay 100,000 disciples because we're in an area of 9 million. That's a lot of people. But this is 100,000 disciples, not church members. We have churches that have members in the thousands and tens of thousands in this very area. They have members in the thousands and tens of thousands. I've yet to meet a church with thousands of disciples. Jesus changed the world with 12. 100,000 disciples. That's like 100,000 Green Berets. Armed to the teeth well-trained, trained for war, and they're given a winning strategy from their sergeant, Jesus. Amen? We can take this city. Does your heart burn for that, however? Do you, do you really see the news and you're so broken and you say, Jesus, heal my city? Or do you look at the nations? Because it's 500 churches around the world, and Pastor Joe has shared those nations that, that have been on his heart lately are in the 1040 window. 1040 is degrees latitude and, latitude and longitude on the map, and you could find it on the map and see mainly these Middle Eastern countries and places where Islam is predominant, places where the gospel is oppressed, places where our brothers and sisters are dying and being mistreated and beheaded for the gospel, places that are just miserable and full of war. And we're called to plant churches there. 500, does your heart burn to see those nations full of life and peace from the Lord Jesus. Does your heart burn for that? Because it's not just us. It's got to be all of us. You need to adapt this vision, strategy, and goal and make it your very own. Amen. 100,000 disciples. I think of a Abraham Lincoln quote. It was during the Civil War, and one of his constituents said to him, as a sort of encouragement. You know, we're sure to win eventually because God is on our side. And I'm paraphrasing here, but, but Abe Lincoln looks at him and he says, our side? God is on our side? To hell with that. We need to be on God's side. Amen? And when, and, and when we were, Pastor Joe, we were praying about the vision and, and all of this, we've adapted this vision not because it's the easiest 
and quickest path to success. Now, and it's not the way to win friends and influence people. It's not the goal to have 100,000 Rolls Royces. It's just Jesus' idea. It's, the, it's not the path of least resistance. There's hard work. There's blood, sweat, and tears. But it's Jesus' plan. It's God's plan. And we want to have our part in it. If we could have uh, somebody who's on the keys. Somebody on the keys, please. God promises when we follow his plan, we will accomplish his purpose. Will you do your part today? We're going to have a time at the altar to, to pray, to respond to the message. You may be in one of three different boats. You could just be right now finding your place in God's plan. I see a lot of people I've never met before. Maybe this is your first time. Maybe you've been here a few times. But you need to find your place in God's plan. We could have our altar workers. We have life groups. If we could get that life group slide up. We have life groups that we're doing on an ongoing basis. Any given week, there's something going on. There's something that you could be a part of. Amen. There's something where you could be impacting the lives of others and doing a service for God's kingdom. Any given day, any day of the week, any week. I'm looking at Griselda, the adult Bible study. You could be learning the word of God in a new and relevant way. You could be pouring into and encouraging others. You got Sister Leilani, that's encounter night. You could just be going after God, interceding and encountering God and, and just taking his presence with you everywhere. We have Elevate, of course. Teenagers. Uh, enough said. They need Jesus. I'll tell you what, though. If you could give your Friday night to pour into youth, because every other day of the week they're hearing Lady Gaga's plan for their life and Lil Wayne's plan for their life and they're, and they're sexually acting and they're doing all sorts of things that are outside of God's plan and you have a, a day out of the week if you'd give your Friday. Say, I'm going to serve. I'm going to make a difference for Jesus. We have King's Kids. We pick up kids from Ohio Park. My heart goes out to them. We've, we've had girls that have been molested in our group. Molested. And that's not uncommon. It's not uncommon. You know, they say you wind up dead or in jail in, in, in neighborhoods like that as young men. More people are not working than are working. And, and the, all they're hearing is the devil's plan through their life, blasting through rap music, blasting through adults, telling them they're go never going to be nothing, that they're just gangbangers, that they're just hoes. You know what I'm saying? And you have an, uh, on a Wednesday night to give them the hope of Jesus. To tell them their life means some, something to God. I've talked about sidewalk counseling, pleading for our unborn neighbors. Those places are open every day of the year, almost. And we're there just one day to plead for our unborn neighbors, to be a voice for them who have no voice, to, to be an open arm even to the moms and dads. Even though they're about to murder, we love them and we're reaching out to them with the love of Christ to give them any help they need. 
you can be involved. Even fellowship. I mean, before I was a Christian, I didn't know wholesome fun. I just knew getting high and listening to music and passing out. And I remember I got saved in November one year, and we went Christmas caroling in December. And I just remember this is the most wholesome fun I've ever had. These are the best friends I've ever had. Won't we be a blessing and about to each other through fellowship, through that life group, through the single moms with Pastor Lauren? And you got to be a single mom, no single dudes trying to sidle in there. But hey, you might be in that boat. Define your place there, and you have Mordecai there. She will Mordecai you, mentor you. Yes, praise. Praise the Lord. I mean, there's no shortage of things we could do, and the list is only going to get bigger. We get to 100,000, that's a lot more Bible studies. That's a lot more high schools. That's a lot more youth groups. That's a lot more, uh, you know, families that we're reaching. We're going to eventually, you know, do the food pantry, the whole nine as the vision expands. But listen, it starts with people. We just need faithful people. We got about a hundred right now. Can you picture that times a thousand? We got one church right now. Can you picture that times 50? What we can do. So that this first call, and I'm going to invite you, if, if that's your first call, you're not connected. You're not doing really anything for the Lord right now. Find a place. Find a place to connect. If that's you, we get the rest of the band up. To find a place to connect. You may you may come up if that's you right now. The second group of us, you need, you want to be a disciple, you want to follow God's plan, and you need a, a Mordecai, just like Esther needed somebody. I want to encourage you, if you come up for prayer saying, I need to be a disciple, I need to be mentored, I need someone who cares about me to pour into my life, I encourage you guys with guys, girls with girls, the person who prays with you could be your disciple could be your mentor. These are all elders and deacons. They could teach you the way of the Lord. And then the through, third group of you is you've been serving the Lord, but you need renewed vision and passion and direct, direction for your ministry. You've been doing it for a while, but you're going through the motions. Maybe this message stirred up something in you, and you want to give it your all again. So we're going to open these altars. If you're one of those three, you want to connect to a life group, you want to do something for Jesus today, if you want to be a disciple, if you want somebody to pour into your life and be a mentor to you, you can get that today. And if you just want renewed passion, if you want God, God's fire to burn in your heart afresh and his love for people to burn in your heart afresh, Father, in Jesus' name, with every head bowed and eyes closed. Father, we declare this, this goal to be fulfilled. We thank you for 100,000 disciples. We thank you for 50 churches in this city and what you will do through them. We thank you for 500 churches all over the world and what you will do, the great things you'll do through them. Jesus, I just pray that we would make this our own, Lord. That everyone in this room would love God and love people and govern their lives as such. I pray, Father, that we would be disciples, that make disciples, and that would have a priority in each of our lives. 
And I pray our hearts would burn for revival in this city and in the nations. And Lord, I pray you speak to folks right now. Friend, I adjure you come up now for prayer. If you meet any of those criteria, now is the time. Jesus, do it. Speak to the hearts of your people.
witness to our spirits that we're children of God. The Holy Spirit will bear witness in with you that this, this is true. This is biblical. This is what God wants. This is God's plan. Be a disciple. Love God and people. Change the world. This is God's heart. And friend, if you don't have God's heart, if you don't have God's heart today, what's the blockage? You need to come up and pray. You're saying, I don't feel this. I know it's right, but I ain't feeling it. I'm, I'm, I'm not moved. I'm not compelled. It sounds true, but I, it's not clicking. You need to come up to this altar. You need to call on God. You need to ask Him to soften your heart. God will give you His heart. God will give you His heart. God will give you his compassion. God will give you his passion and zeal. God will give you his joy. God will give you his energy to go above and beyond. God will give you his wisdom to do what you don't even know how to do. If your heart is not moved, you need to pray for it. Altars open. If you want to get it in with God one on one, you may. Jesus, move in our hearts, soften our hearts. Take our eyes off ourselves. Take our eyes off ourselves, Lord. May we see you as how great you are. And may we see the harvest. Say 